Hey, this is John Bodner from the Philly Faceoff League, and you're listening to the More Than a Club podcast. Our guest on today's show was Villanova men's head lacrosse coach, Mike Corrado. Mike Corrado enters his 17th year as the head coach of Villanova and his 27th year overall with the program. He was appointed head coach during the summer of 2006 after being named associate head coach just one year earlier. Mike was a student athlete and a four-year starter at Villanova from 1984 to 1987. He was the team's rookie of the year in 1984, also named co-captain and MVP in his senior season when he collected a team-high 93 ground balls. For his career as a Wildcat, Corrado tallied four goals and five assists from the offensive end of the field, and he was an all-county player for Islip New York High School prior to becoming a Wildcat. When he graduated in 87, Corrado served four years in the U.S. Navy, where he was based out of Norfolk, Virginia. He's a veteran of the Persian Gulf War, retired as a commander from the Naval Reserves. Corrado received his master's degree in education from Temple in 2002. Michael and his wife, Valerie, live in Drexel Hill, PA, with their son, Matthew. On the show, he talks about being a youth sports parent, his journey through his love of lacrosse, the defensive end of the ball, college coaching at Villanova, important coaches along the way, and lots of valuable tips for parents, coaches, and players. Please enjoy this great new episode with Coach Mike Corrado. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome to More Than a Club podcast, season four, episode three. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, and excited that Coach Coop, Coach Kate, and I are back for another go-around. We're on a roll with season four and excited about our new guest. I'm proud to welcome Coach Mike Corrado of Villanova Men's Lacrosse to our show. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited for today's show and to learn from Mike Corrado. Back in my youth lacrosse days, I learned the game at the Villanova lacrosse camps. We were just talking about Coach Marks, but Coach Corrado was there as well, and those were some of my first lacrosse memories. Over the last year and a half, I've had the pleasure of working with Mike's son and getting to know him as a sports parent, not just the Villanova coach. We're honored today to have one of the NCAA's longest tenured head coaches and to learn from Coach Corrado on our show. Coach, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. We'll cruise right in to our youth sports hot topic. Uh, we like to address the parents, the players, the coaches, and spend a little time talking about topics relevant to each audience. So, Mike, since I know you uh, best right now as a sports parent, uh, give us something for parents. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I see happening when I, when I go to my son's events and son's practices is there's a lot of talk out there about uh, what should they be doing. They play for a club team. They might play for their township team, but they're constantly being inundated with requests to try out for all-star teams, for other travel teams. Uh, that There's the, the, this new kind of thing going on with national teams. And, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion uh, at that level of what is right for my son. Right. I think and, uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of guidance out there with it right now. It's 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 tough for them to understand what is the best avenue to take for their for their child. Don't you think a lot of that depends on where they are, whether they're a youth, a middle school or a high school player or not? 
Yeah, I think I think at you know at the at the middle school level where I am right now, uh, you know, I, I think there's some validity maybe to try to expand a little bit, but uh, I do think it can it can be too much at this young of an age, especially when uh, I think most most of these the players on my son's team are playing other sports, right? It's still at this point, they haven't really specialized yet. And so I think it can, it can be a little bit too, too much. And I think it's a little bit overwhelming for everybody. Yeah. The word confusing comes to mind. And I always tell parents in our club that once you register and do waivers online for tournaments, you're now in their database. And when they have showcases and things to sell, you're going to get sold to. So, um, kind of just being, um, aware that you are a consumer with an email address and you're going to get targeted for things. Um, but being an educated consumer, and I think that's your point is like, that's hard to do, right? So who can parents rely on and what are the questions maybe they're asking you? Well, I, th- I think you, you, I asked them, what, what are they trying to get out of it, right? What, what is the end game? Is it you think that it's going to help your son become a better player? Um, is it you think you're going to miss out the fear of missing out like someone else is doing it, so I have to do it? Um, you know, and, and kind of sit back and say, is this something that I think is really beneficial to, to what – what my son wants to do. And I think once again, at, at, at the middle school level, it's kind of hard to know what you want to do yet. Um, and, and I think that, but there does seem to be this kind of underlying pressure to, to participate in some of these things that are going on. And there's so many other different like parameters and things to think about. If I'm a parent, how important is being at church on the weekend? How important is our students' grades and being there all weekend? Or Who's paying for the six hundred dollar yeah. camp? And yeah, no, the, yeah, the all swag. those are really valid. You know, obviously, there's a cost associated with that. There's there's missing out on other things. You know, I, I feel like, like I said, my son plays football right now, and that's a you know four day a week practice pl- schedule, and then games on Saturday, and so he actually misses out on some of the events that he 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 is with his uh, with his club lacrosse team here, and so. Um, but he has a passion for that right now, and so we're, we let him do that. And, you know, I think at this point for me, it's it's about him figuring out what he likes the most and having fun with it and making friends and, and, and those kind of things versus, you know, trying to do everything. I think, it, I think it can be overwhelming. One of the interesting articles I read a couple months ago was about the other siblings. So we get dragged to these lacrosse tournaments or we're left with the nanny while mom and dad go off to wherever. I thought it was a really interesting perspective that I hadn't thought of. One other thing I said to our 27s last night, and I think you had it in our show notes, is just the percentage of kids that actually get to play Division One lacrosse. It's very easy as a young lacrosse player to go, oh, I'm, on a, I'm on a club team and play year-round, and you know, one day I'm going to play at Duke, and it's just so freaking I can tell you hard. the exact number. It's 2.9%. Yeah. It's right on the NCAA website. So it's 2.9% of those that play in high school will play Division One lacrosse. Wow. That's a good spot then as we move on to – Players, a youth hot topic for the players who are listening. I love your topic, Coach. Turn me loose. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I, the, I think it's this thing fundamentals. Um, you know, at, especially at the you know at the younger ages, it's so important to 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 kind of hammer home the basics in lacrosse. And for me, I I, I get frustrated a lot of times with. Uh, passing and catching. It's a simple, simple thing you think. Um, but even at the college level, uh, it's something that I constantly harp on, um, whether, you know, we film line drills, 
right? I, I'll watch line drills uh, after practice. Um, and then our first uh, probably 10 to 15 minutes of practice are some type of drill where the emphasis is on passing and catching. Um, and it is amazing how uh, a lot of times, you know, the passes are high, the passes are low, the passes are on the wrong side, trying to stop it and say, you know, if that pass is near his ear, he can catch and shoot that in one motion, not have to, you know, dip below his knee, pick it up to his ear, cradle, and that by that time that happens, you know, you, you're, you don't have that opportunity anymore. And so, it's about efficiency. Yeah, and and so, um, and I think it's also about understanding how important it is. I don't know that it's stressed enough, I you know, guys will go out and work you know i'm gonna go work on my game and yeah they might do some wall ball but what do they normally do? they go out take a bucket of balls and shoot the ball right and you know break a sweat yeah you know it. and 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 so i i i am a firm believer that that's the single area biggest area that uh we should be concentrating on throughout lacrosse regardless of ages is passing and catching the ball yeah i couldn't agree more i think each major sport has one specific skill that matters most all the other skills matter too but if you take ice hockey, it's skating. If you can't skate, you can't play hockey. In basketball, we could argue over it, but I think it's being tall, right? And then all the other skills follow. You have to be able to dribble, of course, play defense. Football, size, speed. For lacrosse, stick work. At least the high school level, it diminishes a little bit at your level. But you give me a guy who's a little bit smaller or a little bit heavier or a little bit something, and he can catch and throw with both hands, fundamentally sound in a sweet way, I could do something with him. Yeah, and, and it's every position, right? Um, I constantly try to you know reinforce it's not just my attack might have to have good sticks everybody has to have a good stick um your goalie might have to be have the best stick um and so uh you know when when sometimes you know when i know later on we're going to talk about kind of the beginning of lacrosse when you know i started i i, I spent one day as a goalie got hit with three shots and i said that's enough of that and i was like well i'm not very good i've just started playing so i'll be a defenseman Right. And that kind of that's, you know, I think some of the best sticks in in lacrosse out there now are are the defensemen. So, uh, you know, everybody needs to have a good stick. Everyone needs to be able to pass and and catch. Right. You kind of forget about that, like actually catching the ball. Uh, It's it's a skill that uh, without it, you you can be as big as you want or as fast as you want. But you're not going to be as good as a player if you don't if you can't pass and catch. Yeah. I came to believe that around 14, if you are fundamentally flawed, in how you hold your stick or the motion of your arms or the snapping of your wrist, you can't be fixed. They're too far gone. Well, we, it's like learning to play the piano in the wrong way, and then somebody shows up and tries to tell you how to play the piano the right way. You have to undo them, which is painful. Then they have to be open to learning new, and they're kind of in this bizarre area of being frustrated and angry. And I just found it to be something I just was like, you know what? You're going to throw messed up. This is going to be a problem for you when you move on to bigger, stronger, faster people. But for now, I'm going to have to make do with what you are. Yeah, no, well, listen, we debated in our coach's office all the time about, you know, stick work and can we make – can you actually make someone stick better, right? When, once they get to you as a as a freshman in college, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting argument. I think you can get better, but I don't know, you know, if you can improve it markedly. Or, you know, um, from from someone walking into your locker room as a freshman, uh, they're, pr- they're pretty set. You know, they're pretty set in the way they do things. Yeah. In my later years, we tried to make them more aware at practice. So if I threw Coop the ball and I put it right by the head of his stick, and he needed to put the head of his stick in the right spot, and then the that pass was efficient and on on the dot. Then he just yelled yes, yes. And if I threw it poorly, he yelled no, no, and no. Get you one push up. Okay, right. 
I either, love that. Either doing I'm that conscious that I, I threw a bad pass and I just go do my own push-up. It also stopped me from having to say anything. I just look over and Tucker Durkin's doing a push-up. I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> we just move right on. But the idea to show them that having great stick work makes us more efficient offensively, clearing, whatever it might be, that saves us time. That makes us faster. And ultimately, this leads to less turnovers. And we were always a possession-based, less transition team, but in college level, even more important stick work. And so if we could have a long possession with as close to perfect passing as we could, our offense six on six would be more efficient. Eventually, we'd have more opportunities from the other creative things we do, but we can't. We have to take for granted that our stick work will be exceptional because we practice it that much and we're aware of where we throw it. And if you can't do it, go to, go to the bench. Yeah. No, listen, I, I, I can't. I, 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 you know, we, like I said, we spend even at the Division One level, you know, we do our, our, our regular line drills, but we'll spend 10 to 15 minutes. And, and our, we do drills that are about passing and catching. Um, I think that's important. You know, you can hit the wall, there's nothing wrong. Wall ball's great. But I think to really improve your stick work, it needs to be in some type of drill where you're moving your feet. When you're making, when you're catching the ball, you're moving your feet. There's pressure on you. There's defensemen giving you pressure, and you're having to do things at, 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 at you know, quickly, um, not just kind of on a wall at your own pace. And, and I think that, you know, those type of drills will help you get better at it. And I like the end of practice too. When you're tired and you're yeah. beat up, now let's go. When you're mind numb and have just <laughs> as good stick work, you, uh, absolutely. You guys are taking us right into our four coaches section here, uh, and Coach Carrado wanted to talk about maximizing practice time. I would say I work with a lot of young club coaches, um, and like you said, kids like your own son, they're coming from school and football, and then they get to lacrosse. You know, what, what might be some tips to just keep practice moving but keep hitting on the, the basics? Yeah, listen, I think, I think you, you have to have a plan, right? So coaches in advance, you know, you should have an idea of how many kids are going to be at practice, you know the positions, and have some idea of what it is you're trying to accomplish, three or four goals for the day. And, and I think having – like so if there's 40 players on the field having something for them to do at all times right it's hard to keep 40 kids engaged if you're doing a four on three fast break drill um and so you know i, I think having you know station where i'm a big station work guy when i do instructional stuff um so that you know you're going from one station to another they're small numbers so kids are getting a lot of reps they're learning a bunch of different things whether it's sometimes you're doing a two-on-two -two drill so you're talking you know switch or stay on picks and you know pop into open space with, with the, without the ball in your stick or next the next drill could be a, a ground ball drill the next stick could be the next drill could be a shooting drill, you know, but, and, and it gives kids, and I, I'm also a big fan at the younger ages of letting kids do everything, right? Not, right. you know, let a defenseman shoot the ball. Why not? Like, let them have fun doing that kind of stuff and, and, and trying to maximize that hour and a half that you have. How many times did you catch the ball? How many times did you pass it, right? How many shots did you get? You know, and, and, and trying to maximize that as much as possible um, is, is, I think it's, you know, I think it's important. I think, the fun aspect is really important too, because kids are trying to figure out which sports they like, um, and 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 if we can make it fun, right, we can keep a lot of a lot of the players in this sport, and competitive. Yep. Like we tried to design practice at least the second half of it where we're competing in almost everything we do, and a consequence for losing it might be small, it might be push up, it might be run to the fence and back, it might be carrying your buddy on his on his back to sure. the water. <laughs> But yeah, no, we, we do, uh, we do two, like when we divide up, you know, uh, you know, the West Jenny drill, who doesn't love West Jenny, right? I mean, uh, coach Miller with us used to be a gym teacher. He's got more gym type gym, <laughs> gym class games for our guys, um, that they, they love. And a lot of times we'll divide up, uh, this year we've really done, uh, the business school versus liberal oh, arts, right? That. So, wow. um, you know, so 
And you talk about, you know, trash talk, you talk about competitiveness um, and accountability, right? You know, guys are not, you know, holding yeah. up there on the bar and guys are getting on them. And obviously they're, they're at the end, someone's, usually it's just push-ups. Uh, we've done the public versus private, you know. Back in the day when I was here, we would do Long Island versus the world because we had so many Long Island guys on the team. <laughs> I like but, that. you know, whatever, however you divide it, right, competition um, is, is good, consequences are good, um, you know. And, and, you know, when I my son gets in the car and I, I usually ask him one question, what was the best part of practice tonight? And almost every time it's a drill that there was some type of score being kept and there was a winner, you know. And, and so, you know, I think those kind of things make practice, you know, like I said, I think especially at this age, it's got, even at our age, it's got to be fun. It's got to be fun. So if coach is listening and they're trying to design a practice plan, do you feel that there's three or four like non-negotiables that have to be in almost every practice plan for a coach like I'd say ground balls if you're not doing ground balls every single practice then what happens when you drop the ball right it becomes a ground ball your stick work on our previous section is irrelevant because people do drop it unless you do ground balls yeah no I, I agree I think you know we'll have you know we always have a segment like I said start practices stick work a lot of times we go right from stick work to ground ball drills to, you know competitive ground ball drills to some of these other drills where I call them passing and catching drills where it's a five on four in a box Transition area or something drills, like right, that. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, but then a lot of times, you know, you break up into a team O and a team D session, uh, you know, where you're, you're, you're doing something in that area. Then we normally do kind of smaller sided things like a four on four. We do, we're a big four on four team, right? We like, we like four on four, the two on twos, three on threes. It's so much space. Four on four, I think is, you know, a little bit better. You get the, you know, you got, you got three guys playing without the ball on the stick. You have, you know, you got to communicate picks, switches, there's there's a two one slide there's a two slide um so we do a lot of four on four drills um in in all different ways right in all different ways and so those those kind of things and then we you know we we we're a big clearing and riding you know we're a big 10-man ride team now and so we have a clearing and riding session and every day in practice as well so um but i think you know each coach has to figure out what what they want to do but um i do think having you know three or four goals at each practice of what you want to accomplish um is important i think also you know maybe telling the kids too like we you know we we post our practice plan at 1230 every day if I'm in the locker room at 1235 it's not posted the kids start asking me questions like where, where's the where's the practice plan coach and so they want to know what's going on they want to know what's, what they're doing and so sometimes maybe sharing what you're doing with the kids also might be something that you know I think gets them invigorated for practice do you ever give them a chance to add their own ideas or drills yeah, yeah it's funny you know we we've we haven't done as much lately we used to do it more especially the freshmen i'm like all right guys you've been here for a while freshmen make a make a practice plan. yeah and you know what they do they give you like the same practice plan that you do you know <laughs> um and, you know for the you most like part stuff, coach. so yeah, yeah and i'm like yeah, come on come up with some new stuff so but we have we have done that um you know constantly asking kids what they liked what they didn't like about practice you know trying to trying to figure out what's working and what's not you know when I had Coach Sampson with me, you know, Coach, he's another gym teacher kind of guy. He has a million different things, Coach Sampson. And sometimes he would come up with these really funky stick work drills. And sometimes I'd be like, what are we, I'm looking at? Like, what are we doing? And then he would just blow the whistle. He goes, sorry, guys, that one stunk. Yeah. You know, and, and you would just move on to the next one. So, um, you know, even someone as accomplished as Coach Sampson can, you know, can, you know, try to do something and it's not working. And you got to, you got to, you know, you, you got to own that. So, um, but yeah. So anyway, I think, I think, you know, being organized and enthusiastic is huge. As we move into getting to know Coach better, we'll start out with kind of one of our favorite questions, which is, Coach, your background, like your upbringing. Give us a quick version of your story. Yeah, so, you know, I, I was born in New York and lived in Long Island until I was, I think, 9 or 10. We moved to Connecticut for a year, then upstate New York for a few years, then back to Long Island. 
Um, and so um, I moved back to Islip, New York in, in ninth grade. Um, and uh, I was the, uh, in the spring of my, my ninth grade year, I was the starting center fielder for the junior high school baseball team. Nice. Right? I had never played lacrosse. I'd seen lacrosse. I had never played it. I think there, you know, the, back in that, in those, in the eighties, the, the um, you know, there was not this, there was not this, uh, you know, huge youth lacrosse programs out there, right? There was not every town had a youth lacrosse program. And so um, I played baseball and uh, baseball ended, I don't know, probably in May at some point. And then the varsity lacrosse coach would come down to the junior high school uh, and do a two-week clinic in ninth for ninth graders. And so that was my first exposure to lacrosse. And like I said, I had never done it before. So I was like, I'll, I'll be the goalie, right? I'll be the goalie. And, and then that lasted one day. And then I started uh, playing defense. It was a two-week clinic. Uh, it was that simple, and um, you know, but that was it. I didn't do anything until the following spring. I played lacrosse. I played, you know, JV lacrosse at ISO. So I didn't start playing on a team until tenth grade. So um, yeah, and then you know, I was a much uh, much more accomplished soccer player back when I was growing up. I played, you know, for my school team, for indoor team, for a travel team in the summer, similar to what kids do today. Uh, that was really in place for soccer when I was growing up. And so I thought I was going to do soccer. And I think, you know, when we talk about burnout, um, you know, from the time I was five, I did soccer. And uh, when it came time to kind of make that decision for college, I decided to pursue the opportunity to play lacrosse because it was new, it was fresh. And so, you know, that's kind of how I, I started playing. I mean, not till 10th grade. So it's, you know, a little different than a lot of the kids today. How about some influential coaches along the way? Well, I, I remember my first coach was a guy named Rich Rowcroft. He was my JV lacrosse coach. And when I talk about making things fun, like, you know, he, he was just a, he was a, a nice man. He was a good coach. He was always positive. Uh, and he really kind of got me hooked on lacrosse. Uh, so he was my first coach. Bruce Babazine was my varsity coach. And uh, I still get emails from Coach Babs after games telling me what I did wrong and right as a coach <laughs> uh, still to this day. So um, he's been, you know, he's been a, a big supporter throughout my, my coaching career and uh, done a great job. And so um, and then obviously Coach Marks, right? Coach Marks, I played for him. Uh, for four years, he recruited me to Villanova, gave me a great opportunity, um, and graduated from Villanova. And then I spent four years in the Navy and came back to Villanova uh, to go to grad school in the area. I went to Westchester for grad school. And, uh, and you know, coach said, hey, you know, would you like to help out for, for this year? And I was like, okay, I'm going to be in grad school. Why not help out? And I think that was 1992. So it's <laughs> yeah, a long, wow. long time ago. Yeah. Well, a couple of times I left, but that's when it first started. So well, let's talk about the Navy first. Thank you for your service. Oh, you're welcome. Guys like you let, let us go run, play lacrosse and run around. So tell us a little bit about where you served. Uh, you know, I was, I was stationed at, at a Norfolk, Virginia, um, on an amphibious ship. So worked directly with the Marines and, you know, did a couple deployments overseas during my four years of, of active duty. Uh, and then I, um, and then I, I served, uh, for 18 years in the reserves, uh, some of it out of Philadelphia, uh, most of it out of a place called uh, Naval Weapons Station Earl in Colts Neck, New Jersey, and did 18 years in, in, in various different jobs in, in the reserves and retired in, in, after 22 years in 2010. So it's a great, great experience. Um, highly recommend it. Where does, where does teaching at Upper Darby fit into that? Uh, I started teaching in Upper Darby in 1997, 98. 
Um, and so that was kind of, and where did the teaching, I guess, uh, was there other stops before that or? Yeah, I, I, I taught, uh, student taught, this is a good, good one. I, I I student taught with John Lenahan. So, um, yeah, legend, uh, you know, I was quickly followed John McAvoy student taught with coach Lenahan too. Uh, but coach Lenahan was another great influence for me as a, as a role model, as a teacher, he's a great teacher, obviously a great lacrosse coach. Um, so I student taught at Lower Marion high school and I, my first job, I was at Chichester high school, um, Chichester Middle School. Um, then I was at Upper Darby. So I kind of did that one. While I was doing that, I was uh, I was coaching high school lacrosse. Um, and, and actually, you know, I was a part-time coach until 2010 at Villanova. So I was teaching at Upper Darby okay. and coaching. It's hard um, to figure out yeah, how you did all that. Yeah, I was, teaching, <laughs> up, I was teaching at Upper Darby and coaching at Villanova as a head coach, okay. as a part-time coach um, until 2010. So... That's pretty impressive. So uh, talk to us a little bit about just when you were a student athlete at Villanova and playing for Coach Marks. Um, we kind of buzzed through that. And, sure. Um, but w- what was that like? And, and did you know that you could play college lacrosse? Were you totally confident getting there? Or Yeah, listen, it, recruiting was so different back, back in that time period. Um, you know, and, and Coach, uh, it was very late in the process. I had gotten a Navy ROTC scholarship to Villanova. So that was all of a sudden that school became an option, and they, you know, they had just switched to Division One lacrosse. And Coach Marks was, I think, in his second year um, as the head coach there. And so, my, my four years, I, I really saw, you know, kind of the beginning of a program, um, you know, that was playing. You know, we played Western Maryland and we played uh, Montclair State. So we we were kind of a hybrid D one. D3 schedule um, and then by the time we ended my you know my last game was against coach Tierney when he was at Princeton first early on in his career at Princeton and the program really had come a long way in the four years that I was there and then you know continued continued on its upward upward trajectory after I left what's it like being on campus with you know the basketball program and these other um, you know competitive sports are you close with them do you learn from those coaches or you know how's how is that yeah you know obviously jay wright you know was is the big the big name at villanova and uh you know jay's jay's uh as as advertised he's a great guy uh he does he he has a real kind of soft spot for lacrosse because he was at hofstra for, yeah. for a bunch of years and really um you know became good friends with coach Danowski and really really enjoyed the sport and really liked the sport and so um you know coach his office was always open but to ask answer your question about camaraderie and that kind of stuff we we meet as a coaching we have head coaches meetings we share ideas um we support one another we go to one another's games that kind of stuff and so it's um it's a really really um it's a great place to work Coach, just looking back on Villanova and all your time there, are there teams, certain seasons that stand out, any players or any rivalries? I think team-wise, uh, you know, the 2009 team was our first NCAA tournament team, first time we ever made the tournament. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, we had, we had lost to Hofstra on a Saturday up there and then had to turn around and go back up on a Wednesday um, and play them in the CAA semifinals. This is when we were in the CAA. That's a long ride. All right, yeah, going back up there. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we didn't spend the night. We just went up that day. We ate at the Italian restaurant right next door. And I'm like, this is not a good idea. Like, you know, chicken parm before a pregame meal. But, um, you know, we ended up beating them and then going down to Towson and beating Towson and, and getting into the NSA tournament that year, which um, 
was, you know, it was our first first one, so it's always memorable. And, um, you know, so that team has a special place for me. Uh, the 2011 team, uh, which also made the NCAA tournament, um, was, it was a great team. Four players from that team. Uh, were amongst the 98 players selected to try out for the U.S. national team. So, um, you know, a lot of talent on that team as well. And so, you know, those two teams, both NCAA tournament teams, um, kind of stand out for me. We've mentioned a lot of big names uh, tonight. But before the show, we were talking about Tony Resch, who's going to go into the USA Lacrosse Hall of Fame this coming Saturday. Um, any thoughts on Coach Resch before his big night? Well, first of all, congratulations, Coach. Well-deserved. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, way back when, when I first started coaching, uh, you and I used to work at a, a Villanova instructional camp, uh, the young guys from three to six, the high school guys six to nine, and, um, you know, and you would come over and work and, uh, you know, learned a lot from you. You treated me really well for someone who you didn't know and who was brand new to to kind of just getting his feet wet in the game and, uh, you know, be able to follow your career, what you've done in all aspects of player and coaching has been amazing. And uh, I, I appreciate our friendship, and I, I'm, I'm really excited for you going into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations. He's going to love the shout-out. I'll yeah. tell him. All I'll right. see him tomorrow. Please tell him. <laughs> yeah, as long as we're working for shout-outs, uh, Coach Andy German was a friend of mine in high school, Radner guy, and played for you, became a coach. And as we started next, um, and you – uh, recruited some kids from Next, and he was at all the recruiting events and kind of all over. It's been cool to see him take the head coaching job at Cleveland State and um, kind of building the program there. So just wanted to ask you on any words on Coach German. Yeah, a Andrew's great. He, uh, you know, I, I, he's never too far away because his mom works at Villanova. So okay. I, I see her. I see her more than I see him now. But, um, yeah, no, Andy's Andy's great. He's um, he's a hard worker. Uh, and, you know, he's done a really, really good job at Cleveland State. And, uh you know, I'm not surprised how well he's done based on on getting to know you know know him as a player. Um, you know, and and now seeing him as a coach, it's great to see you know kids come in. You know, young young men, and now progress. He's married. He's got two children. He's a head coach. It's it's awesome to see. Really cool. Um, and you mentioned Chris Miller, who I think's been a tremendous assistant coach uh, from his days at WAC and now with you. Uh, but what about Simon? I feel like Simon's been with you forever, too. Yeah, no, you're right. He's been with me. This is my 17th year at Villanova. He's been with me the entire time. And so uh, that's pretty unique, right? Pretty unique in, 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 in any, any probably coaching, uh, whatever sport you're talking about, having an assistant coach be with you for that long. But, um, you know, he loves Villanova. Um, he, loves our, he loves coaching our kids. He loves our program. And um, it's great to have someone, you know, your, your number two guy, you know, associate head coach, um, be, be, be on board for, for as long as he has. And then uh, when I played at Delaware, Nova was in the CAA. Now you're in the Big East. Were there other conferences along the way? No, that, okay. that was it. We, we were kind of an independent. Then we were the CAA for, I can't remember exactly how long, six or seven years then. Yeah. Around 2010 or 11, we switched to the Big East. And is there a Big East rivalry that you would say stands out? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, Georgetown, I guess, is, you know, uh, a rivalry that, you know, that right now they're, they're, they've really gotten on a, on a big role for, for you know, they're, they're, they've been great the last four or five years. But, sure. you know, it's, it's definitely a rivalry almost in every sport, right? It really is. It's a big rivalry as well. And, and Denver, you know, with Bill and what he's done at that program, it's always, you know, they were really the benchmark for a while, you know, uh, as far as trying to you know, beat them. We finally beat them. Yeah. <laughs> they finally lost a big, big East uh regular season game a few years ago. So, you know, and obviously Coach Tierney is who he is, and he's, he's just such an, a, a great coach and a, an awesome friend. 
Uh, you have a super story, an incredible program. Any pitfalls or regrets along the way? Uh, pitfalls and regrets. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there are. Uh, you know, I'd be hard pressed to maybe give an example right now. But um, you know, I think you know, you, you, you do the best you can, and if you make mistakes. You kind of got to react and, and, and kind of move on. Just looking at Philly lacrosse, um, you've been obviously in the same spot for a long time. You work closely with the high school coaches, the clubs. Um, you know, how do you feel about the level of play in Philadelphia at the high school lacrosse? And are there high school coaches or teams or programs that you know you love watching to go play or recruit kids from? You know, for, I, I think you know I'm, I'm from Long Island. Uh, Bill is from Maryland, so we debate who's got the best lacrosse, right? Sure. We, you know, that's, but I'm we, asking we you do. two. That's, yeah. a, that's a debate. Yeah. See, <laughs> see what I mean? All right. But I, I, I think you need to throw Philadelphia right in the mix. I really do. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think one of the cool things about Philadelphia is, you know, lacrosse is, is there is outstanding coaching here, right? There's a lot of really, really good coaches, um, you know, at the youth level all the way up. Uh, and you know, through the high school, and you have a lot of a lot of dads who've played who have now passed that knowledge on. And so, um, I, I think I think the world of the of of uh, lacrosse in this area, I think it's as good as anywhere in the country. So, how does that roll into you working with high school coaches versus recruiting in showcases and then club lacrosse? Like, work that through <laughs> for me a little bit. Yeah, listen, I think you have to do it all, right? You have to you have to do it all. Um, you know, I think sometimes you think uh, high school, it's hard to recruit high school because they're playing at the same time as you. Um, one of the things that you know happened during COVID was uh, a lot of games started getting live streamed and you started to be able to see a lot more high school lacrosse games, which I like to see because I, you know, I feel like the, those coaches are, you know, with them for the, you know, for the whole season and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, uh, the club, club lacrosse, you have to, you have to get involved in that as well because, you know, there's a lot of players from around other parts of the country you just don't see. Um, and so I think, I think you have to, you have to be engaged in all of it to be successful. Any do's or don'ts for parents when it comes to all this <laughs> recruiting? Uh, you know, I would recommend to parents to try to let their 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 children do as much of it as they can, you know, um, and 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 try to let them steer the ship. Obviously, you're going to have to get involved at some point, but you know, my advice would be to try to just you know to let them um, you know kind of own it um, and not be overly involved. How about film? When you get a film of a player, there are specific things you're looking for or no nos. Yeah, no. The highlight films are 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 helpful. I think. Um, you know, I, I think um, slow motion. No need for slow motion um, in there. What about uh, the halo <laughs> around the top? Well, sometimes it does help that circle who you are. What about like speeding it up? Uh, like speed, yeah, speed up. all those kind of things. Yeah, but no, I, th I think. Listen, they're they're just another tool that we can use in in the evaluation process. How about mistakes? Right, players make mistakes. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no one likes to no one likes to send the whole game, right? So, um, yeah, we, we, and that's part of it. You realize that, you know. That's why I think it's you know it's used, but it's not the only tool you use. You don't not recruit somebody because they got beat one on one. No, just not too many times. <laughs> right? No one's perfect. That's for sure. Well, this has been great, Coach. Uh, really fun getting to know your story and hearing more about Villanova, uh, the naval career, teaching. Uh, we didn't even mention the graduate degree. Uh, was that a master's at Temple? A master's at Temple, yeah. And did uh, someone make make you g uh, get another degree uh, at well, Upper Darby? Yeah, or yes, Nova? well, it's it's a I think it's a Pennsylvania law. I think yeah, you have to get your master's degree. degree within five years of starting. So, yeah, but uh, yes, I you know it was uh, 
it was great. I, I actually really enjoyed going to grad school. It was a lot of fun. It's uh, learned a lot, actually. What was it in? It was in secondary education, and it was in like tech, it was technology kind of centric. So it was good. A teacher at heart in every way. Yes, absolutely. Field. Yep. Which brings us to homework, our okay. rapid fire homework section. So I'm just going to quickly ask you about coaches, players, and parents, and you're going okay. to give a quick homework assignment for each one. So what do you have for coaches who are listening? Uh, for coaches, I, I, would, I would say, you know, to try to get to know your players off the field a little bit, you know, and even at the youth level, um, you know, talk to them a little bit about what's going on in their, in their lives and try to get to know them a little bit, you know, just more personally because I, I think those connections will, will help, you know, foster a better, a better coach and player relationship. Homework for players who are listening? Fundamentals, guys. Fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. I, I can't stress it enough, um, you know, and, and, and continue to work to get better. Homework for parents. For parents, I, I, would, I, I would just let your son own the process, right, for, from a standpoint of um, playing, uh, where he plays, who he plays with, the recruiting process. All right, let him, let him be in charge of that. And last, what are you reading or listening to these days? Uh, I'm actually reading a book that's called it. Uh, it's your ship. Um, I'm a military guy, Navy guy, and, uh, it's a ship. It's a, excuse me. It's a book that, uh, a friend gave me who was in the Navy. Uh, he knew this captain and, uh, it's a great book. It's about a captain who took over a ship that wasn't performing very well and, uh, goes through a bunch of different things that he instituted, um, that, um, that he thought were help, very successful in helping turn around the ship, incre- increasing morale, increasing production, those kind of things, similar to, similar to coaching. So it's a, it's a really good book. Outstanding. As we wind down this episode, I'd like to give a special thanks to this week's sponsors, Kelly's Tap Room and Hope's Cookies. Thanks to our guest, Mike Carrado. Keep up your good work, and best of luck to the Wildcats in the spring of 2023. On behalf of the crew here at Next, my co-host Kate Henwood and Coach Bill Leahy, as well as our producer, Justin. We thank you for listening to the More Than a Club podcast. And we're signing off from the next headquarters in Conchahawk and PA, Yande Nose. Good work, guys. Great job, Coach. All right. You're totally strong. Yeah.